Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And with us on this episode is a very special Morgan Stewart. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast, previous guest, repeat guest. Part of the crew. Part, part of the, the crew, ship. part of the ship. Uh, break a deal, face the wheel. Face the wheel. Back one more time. Well, I shouldn't say that. To tell you about the best movie, whatever was, besides the other movie, Kablooey. Uh, the best movie that ever was. The next best movie. Not like the next in the list of best movies. Like this is number two, just the, n- the succeeding <laughs> next, <laughs> next best movie. best movie. This is the next best movie. And yeah. we're very excited. I'm, I'm super stoked <laughs> about this. It was, uh, it, was not, it was my first time seeing the movie in 10 plus years. Yeah. It's my first time seeing the movie since a month ago <laughs> when I watched it the last time. It's my first time seeing the movie ever. So we're all sort of coming at it from different angles. Yeah, I think it's good. Uh, I'm coming from the right <laughs> angle. 90 degrees, hey, baby. Still got it. Still <laughs> got it. So the movie we're talking about is Head. The Monkeys. Head is a 1968 American satirical musical uh, comedy film. It's a Western. It's a Western. It's a Western. It's a war film. It's everything. It's a post-pop it's art masterpiece. Mm. It's head. <laughs> it was written by Jack Nicholson and Bob Raffleson and directed by Bob Raffleson and starred, uh, as we've already said, the television rock group slash actual real-life band, The Monkees. Thank you for the emphasis on the second part. Now, see, I think I'm going to throw this to you, Morgan, uh, just to take over fully for a second because I feel like there's some people who maybe don't have a full idea of who The Monkees are. Or maybe like we'll have a, you know, a general picture of them, but don't really, you know, may not may not know too much about them. So can you can you just break down for me, you know, who are the monkeys? So okay, the Beatles made this movie <laughs> called uh, <laughs> the the Beatles made this movie called A Hard Day's Night, and uh, if you haven't seen that, you should probably see that because it's pretty good. And by pretty good, I mean sort of like like uh you know it's like uh, one of the best movies ever made. Um, not like this kind of good, but like it's good. Um, so Bob Raffleson's a guy who had a partner named Bert Schneider and, uh, they were okay, uh, <laughs> successful ish, uh, producers and directors. They didn't really have like a huge hit. They wanted to make a movie, uh, not a movie, a TV show that sort of had the same sort of like manic energy of Hard Day's Night and, uh, they did. Um, <laughs> the end. So well, they thanks for joining. They had us. a they had a big crazy casting call that lasted forever and ever, and they picked these four dudes: uh, Michael Nesmith, uh, Mickey Dolenz, uh, David Jones, who is probably the only person that people would actually know if they, I don't know, he was the only one who had a really like successful solo career. Yeah. And Peter Tork, Louisville's <laughs> number one fan. Straight from Elville, he performed in our town square three times, and the last time nobody came. But, really? <laughs> yeah. When oh, yeah. was this? Uh, like in the mid to late 90s. Oh, wow. He actually performed there like four years in a row. And, um, oh, my God. The first time it was like a big deal, and the second time it was like, oh, cool, Peter Tork's back in town. <laughs> and uh, the third time people were like, why does Peter Tork keep coming back to Louisville? And the last time everyone was like, I am so tired of peter tork coming to our town of 600 people oh honey it says here that uh that that, that peter tork fellow's back in town he came to louisville so many times that's so um, weird he's been in louisville, louisville more than i have I, I have to imagine like 
Well, no, I'm, I'm thinking because my parents drug me to a lot of stuff I didn't want to go to as a kid. Like you in probably the, saw him in the Louis Vuitton Square. I probably saw him at least once. He was he was always solo. Uh, he was usually playing his like country western stuff, but oh, then they probably didn't take me. That's not really their scene. Oh, how, he did play some Beatles. They? I'm not Beatles. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm Ooh, sorry. The, the melding of fact and fiction has already begun. <laughs> Let me just say that John Lennon once said the Monkees were probably one of the greatest bands to ever exist. And John Lennon's a stupid asshole, so and he's also <laughs> dead, so who knows if he was right or wrong. Uh, it's a anyway, very clear, cogent point. <laughs> in 1965, the Monkees uh, launched immediately to uh, wild success. Um, you may have heard songs such as "Daydream Believer" and yeah. others that probably, <laughs> <laughs> you know, "Pleasant Valley Sunday," "Last Train to Clarksville." Those are the three real big hits. Also, "Cuddly Toy." I don't really like that song, but it was it was a big deal. Um, whatever. Your parents loved them when they were eight, and I love them now. And I'm if 30. you had Nick at Night as a kid, yeah, or MTV a- in the eighties. When they really? came back, yeah, they had a big. It was a big deal when they came back in the eighties. That was a, they. They recorded an album after that called "Just Us," and it's "Just Us" because it's a whole thing. I'm not going to get into it here. Um, I feel like you can I, get into it. I was big into Nick and Night as a kid. I feel like that's why I have like more knowledge of the monkeys than I thought I did. Jason yeah. might be thinking about the banana splits. No, uh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't fuck with that. You don't like the banana splits? I don't fuck with the banana splits. The banana splits were like the monkeys if they were made by Sid and Marty Croft. So terrifying <laughs> and bad. The monkeys, uh, that, that did run on Nick at Night, though, at one point, right? It may have. I don't remember. I feel like it wasn't. Uh, maybe it ran somewhere else. Because If it ran on Nick at Night, I would have watched it every day of the week for most of my childhood. It's It was like Baby's first introduction to abstract humor. <laughs> <laughs> because they would rarely write scripts. And the monkeys would just make stuff up as they went along, and Bob Raffleson was just like they're trying to make it into a show. Uh, it didn't always pan out, I don't think, but it's funny as hell. Um, so they were already musicians when they got hired for this no, show, right? Uh, they, not no, all they of weren't. Them. Uh, some of them were just. Uh, so Mickey was like he was an actor. He was like a kid Mickey actor. Dolan's. He, yeah, Mickey Dolan's. He was in um, Circus Boy when he was ten. <laughs> Uh, and it was a show where he was basically like a monkey boy, um, just like a <laughs> monkey child. He looks like a monkey child. Uh, Davy Jones was like a failed uh, horse jockey who wanted to be a that song and dance sense. man. Uh, he and he was like that makes a, a lot of sense. You know, classic yeah. story. You've heard it a thousand times. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's very short, and also he died. Um, Died? Yeah, he died in 2013. The others are still oh. alive. I think in 2013, it might be 2014. And it was uh, the worst day of my life. Um, but I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Michael Nesmith, uh, he... I can't remember if he was him or Peter Tork who played country western music. I'd said it was Peter Tork, but I might be wrong. Uh, but they didn't all really have... One of them, it was either Michael Nesmith or Peter Tork had been in bands and had played mm. music. And the others were sort of like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll be in a TV show. <laughs> um, Mickey Dolan's had done some singing and stuff. If I am correct, I might not be. Uh, but they they had not been like successful musicians in any capacity. Then they became musicians working on the show, and they wanted to do music, and the label wouldn't really let them because uh, they didn't want them to do their own music. They wanted them to do their TV music and. We're not that, paying you to write songs. We're paying you to look good, to stand yeah, there and smile for the cameras. Yeah, like initially in some songs, the, 
uh, not the ones that are on albums, but like the, there wasn't even their voices. They would just like dub over it and have oh, them wow. like, dance along. Uh, but they became like a really good band. It became like a really good band. And half of the struggle they had making the TV show was that they wanted to be a band. <laughs> and uh, people were like, no, stop, don't. Just entertain the eight-year-olds. Um, and, <laughs> and that was sort of a problem. Uh, they didn't want to just entertain the eight-year-olds. They wanted to ma- be the best band ever, and, and they went and did it. Headquarters is a really good album. I've definitely <laughs> seen this behind the music. Have you? I feel like I have. None of this sounds new. There's a there's a, there's something really interesting about how this whole thing sort of happened backwards, like and I guess that's the way with a lot of, uh, you know, mass produced art. But the fact that these guys are all thrown together to play, to play a fake band and then decided like legitimately that they wanted to be a real band, yeah, and like became almost like more creative than the thing that they was like put them together, and I mean, uh, it just happened so much more. And you know, you, you think about it happening the other way around. You think about a band being discovered and then being launched to stardom, but they sort of you know, created a band to back up the fact they already stars for being in a band. Yeah, they were created by a corporate machine to make money. Uh, that that was the whole thing. It was called the Monkeys Project. It's not even. I mean, it was <laughs> like it's like uh, Damon Albarn's Gorillas thing. You know, it was like okay, well now they're gonna do this and now they're gonna do that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, those are just cartoon characters. But these are real people. <laughs> um, you know. Oh God. Which is which is um okay. So. They slowly, as kids' fads do, uh, you know, they they slide sort of into unpopularity after about three years. They stop really topping the charts. People are used to the monkeys. Uh, there's this whole thing where uh, they don't play their own music, which still, if you talk to someone about the monkeys at this moment, they'll go like, hey, you mean the fake band that they didn't even play their old songs? Um, for God's sakes, they had a cover in rock band. It's disgusting. Um, <laughs> so the show's done. Show's over. Uh, Peter Tork wants to quit, uh, and he does right after this movie. Um, so they're like, okay, well, we've got $750,000. Uh, we want to make a movie. What should we do? And it's 1968, so you could theoretically make a movie with that amount of money. <laughs> they did, in fact, because that's how much money they had to make this movie. Uh, they didn't even have a million dollars. I mean, even in 19, the late 60s, that's 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 not a lot of money. Uh I'd be like trying to make a major motion picture. Well, I mean, you know, people do still do that, but I mean, it was like five, six million dollars today. I mean, that's not much. It's impossible for me to say because as soon as we get past like the last, like basically before my lifetime, if I hear any amount of money, I'll be like, oh, it must have been so much back then. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 75 bucks in 1963, that's enough to buy a house. So 1968, show's over. Uh, they decide, Bob Raffleson and Bert Schneider are like, well, we're going to make a monkeys movie. And the monkeys, uh, David Jones was like, oh, cool, we're going to make, you know, a movie that's like the TV show. And it's going to be like a family, you know, it's adventure, a movie for kids, fun. Man. It's a movie for children. Money. Movie for children. They're not going to dig it, The kids it, aren't going to dig it, man. So they get together uh, and they start brainstorming with Jack Nicholson. Uh, <laughs> this is true. It's hard for people to imagine now, but Jack Nicholson in like the first, like, 20 years of his career even was like a like a figure in like the the, the burgeoning like indie or like the new hollywood movement he was a very like oh, yeah. counter-cultural like 60s rebellious art artistic figure which is very strange now considering his last movie was um i want to say how list. do you know no the bucket list was like that if that had been last his last movie that might have actually been decent or at least like fitting but you know he made that weird uh rom-com with like owen That's wilson true. and kate yeah. hudson i think 
Yeah. He's alive. Yeah, he's alive. Yes, okay. he's still alive. He's like semi-retired, but he's tweeting under the name Drill every day. <laughs> Leave this place. Hey. hey. <laughs> Bringing uh, the weird Twitter jokes. What is this Chapo Trap House? <laughs> he also mixed the soundtrack album himself. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's it's a, it's a whole other experience. Uh, we'll we'll get to that. So. They they go up to this cabin and they they're like let's just make a movie, so they get a tape recorder and they just start talking, and uh, Jack Nicholson takes the recording with uh, Bob Raffleson, and they just go write this movie quote. <laughs> they just go write this movie, um, and then they get you know Victor Mature and Annette Funicello and uh, fucking Terry Gar's first <laughs> appearance in any movie is in this. Uh, He's been here for like two seconds. Ray Nietzsche, the football player. Uh, oh god, what's the boxer's name? Uh, he's in the fucking uh, Brandon Flower, uh, the killer song. I can't think. of Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston's in this movie. Uh, oh my god, he is. Yeah, he's the. He's the by the way, Sonny Liston had no idea what he was doing in this movie, and he was very upset about being in it. Um, <laughs> according well, according like to David later. Jones. Uh, okay, so they come back with this script. Jack Nicholson says he wants to make a movie where you can start watching it at any time during the movie and watch it all the way through, and it would be the same as starting it anywhere else in the movie. <laughs> that's uh, actually they, really, really cool. It's a, yeah. it's a cool pitch. And imagine I that feel coming, like maybe he succeeded. Imagine no, that he, he definitely like did. 1968 Jack Nicholson. I want to make a movie where... Well, I mean, I can't do it, but you know how he sounds. Yeah, <laughs> I want to make a movie. I don't know how he sounded before Easy Rider. That's pretty but, good. Yeah, uh, it's a little less gritty, but it's hard to... Well, yeah, anyway, anyway. Yeah, so uh, the monkeys really were kind of done being monkeys mostly during this time. Like I said, Peter Tork quit right after they made this movie. Before it even came out, he was like officially out of the band. Damn. Um, or it might have been Michael Nesmith. I can't remember. Um, but one of them quit. <laughs> they were done. It was kind of like uh, the Beatles thing in the 70s when the, uh, they sort of were like, oh, we quit, but here's our last album. Um, yeah, and it turned out so well. This album's terrible. <laughs> um <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. Let it be trash. It's a bad <laughs> album. Shit tier. So is Abbey Road. <laughs> no, oh, I think about it. Oh, wait, yo, oh, wait. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. We're just throwing out opinions. <laughs> Trying to make a podcast here. Not even I cannot get ourselves thrown in jail right now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> calm down, everyone. I'm so sorry. So they make head. Uh, with with the, the themes of the movie being... Uh, they want to destroy the image of the monkeys. Uh, Check. Uh, uh, Michael Nesmith said the main goal was to sort of kind of kill. He said the goal is to kill the critter, you know, get it back in the box. Don't let it out anymore. That's exactly what he says in the commentary of this thing. Um, kill, kill the critter. Exactly say, you got to kill that critter. It's out of the box. Get it back in there. And I would say to some degree, very successfully accomplished. Uh, the monkeys were more or less dead for 25 years after this movie. Um, they didn't want it to fail, by the way. They wanted it to be a success, but they also wanted people to go, oh, my God, <laughs> the monkeys are really good, and they're not who we thought they were. Instead, people went, what the fuck is this? Uh, no thanks to the monkeys. Um, everyone who Basically, everyone who liked the monkeys was put off by how just weird and sort of like bizarre yeah. and surreal it was. And people a who, man like, is murdered on screen in the first... 
two minutes. Yeah, they played movie. that. I don't remember the name. It's it's that it's that you know the war criminal guy the, from the Vietnam, Vietnam, the famous who's... the famous dude who's uh, new and uh, he gets shot in the head right in the street. You've seen the picture. Yeah, that... and they they play that at the end of like a weird like Diddy Diego war chant. <laughs> yeah, the, sort of a sort of a sort of a takeoff of the lyrics of their theme song. Yeah, but are all about how they're like a mass manufactured product, but nothing, nothing behind it. Hey, hey, we are the monkeys. You know we love to please. A manufactured image with no philosophies. They also uh, in that song give the entire like synopsis of the film, saying basically yes. there's going to be no story, or rather there's going to be a bunch of stories, which is to say there isn't one. <laughs> uh, by the way, Davy Jones said of Diddy Diego War Chant. That it was primo beta stage white rap. Uh, <laughs> that's such a that's such like a peace, white Davey. rock star thing to do. Is like if you made any song in the sixties or seventies that had like speaking in it, to be mm-hmm. like that was really the invention of rap when you get right down to it. Bob Dylan basically invented a rap. <laughs> well, he said specifically white rap. White rap. White rap. <laughs> the Beastie Boys could not exist without without Diddy, Diddy Diego War Chant. Diddy Diego War Chant from Head. Hey, now wait a minute. Hey, hey, we are the monkeys. You know we love to please. A manufactured image with no philosophies. We hope you like our story, although there isn't one. That is to say there's many. That way there is more fun. You've told us you like action and games of many kinds. You like to dance, we like to sing, so let's all lose our minds. We know it doesn't matter, because what you came to see is what we'd love to give you and give it one, two, three. But it may come three, two, one, two, or jump from nine to five. And when you see the end in sight, the beginning may arrive. Um, one thing also is that uh, there was sort of like a notion that this movie was pro-war coincidentally <laughs> what yeah like okay this this movie was made this should be said at at the, basically the peak of of the vietnam, vietnam war. war yeah uh and people were coming up to mickey dolan's after the movie came out like weeping and being like you know i i can't believe you support this and and he was blown away because <laughs> yeah. he was like how can you watch this movie and think that the stance we're taking is that the Vietnam War is a pretty good idea. This movie is violently anti-war. Uh, it's 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 anti-capitalist. It's anti. I mean, it's it's like it's a pretty hippie movie. Uh, and and there was like a lot of backlash against them because. Because some of the their older fans thought it was pro-war, which blows my mind. It's crazy to think That's, that. But wow. People really have been getting shit wrong forever. Forever. Since <laughs> the beginning amazing. of time. Since the beginning of well, time. I don't know how you could... I, wow. So the movie is basically like a stream of consciousness. Like it's, it's like segment, segment, segment. And they sort of like blend into each other. And they're surrounded on all sides by music videos that were directed by Jack Nicholson. Um, so i mean if that doesn't sound like immediately on paper appealing to you then it's good that you haven't seen it because you would think it's pro-war because you're wrong um it's it's a wild film it's a wild anyway that's the history of the monkeys told terribly and sort of like the premise of how this movie came to be no, I think you did a good job, and I think the the, the major takeaway, if, if anyone listens to this, if you hear nothing else, hear that the Monkees are a real band that made their own music. And it's good. They made good <laughs> it's, music. It's good music. It's like good song. Classics. 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 Uh, if you have a chance, listen to um, Headquarters and Pisces, Aquarius, da-da-da. Good Times came out in 2016. Fantastic album. Uh, I guess Davy Jones isn't on that one. Davy Jones is unfortunately not on Good Times. 
but he is on Just Us from 1996. Justice? Yeah, Justice. Because they finally got Justice. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> the world so, was crying out for justice for the monkeys. <laughs> the monkeys free, were crying Peter, out for justice Peter for Jordan. the monkeys. Um, the, I guess there is not a plot to this movie, but if you had to say there was, it's about the monkeys trying to escape a corporate machine. <laughs> that's, it's, uh, that's, I mean, that's the theme, but it's also yeah. sort of the plot. Like you said, it's essentially a series of vignettes. Yeah. Or if you, I mean, if you want to be less generous, skits. But skits. They, they can't really be skits because there's no joke and often um, not any sort of clear point. Mm. But they do sort of flow into each other, as you mentioned, very, uh, very, uh, in a very, in very interesting ways. <laughs> you, you, you often you're not used to the premise of the of the current scene before it ends suddenly, and you're all like transported into a new uh, into the cop's moment. dream. <laughs> the cop's dream. Which does it end? Yeah, about an Great hour in the movie, question. there's a scene where, where a police officer gets knocked out. Well, he doesn't get knocked out. He sees the actor, Victor Mature, in a mirror and passes out. And then a psychedelic title card announces the cop's, the cop's dream. dream. And then there is no resolution to that whatsoever. We never <laughs> yeah. check back in on the cop. There's no reason to believe that anything we see afterwards is his dream. Or isn't. Or, is, or isn't. It could <laughs> or was be everything dream. before that his dream and then everything after that is not. It depends on how you see it. Well, no, the whole movie is cyclical because it starts where it ends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Circle Sky, my friend. Do I really Circle. have to do this all over again? Um, when they premiered this movie, they split it into three parts and had them all playing at the same time. Jesus, uh, it's, like, so, it's like that Flaming Lips album. Yeah. Oh, now I. Really I don't know, wanna, but like, sure. Curate an exhibition around this movie where they have like the the seven screens like they had for the Eisenstein exhibition. Yes. <laughs> and it all starts at a different place. Oh. It does feel like the kind of movie you would like see playing on a monitor in an art gallery and pick up your headphones and be like, what the fuck is this? And then like watch it for 20 minutes and then walk away and think like, I don't know. I don't know where that's going, but I don't want any part of it. But you should. Cause it's a great movie. It is. Um, it, it's hard I, to. I think it's um, art. It's hard to sure. really like. From a modern perspective, mm-hmm. it really doesn't seem that weird. Uh, but. The Monkeys TV show was sort of like the first independent production on mainstream television. Uh, they didn't have a lot of studio support. Uh, they made this movie just with their own money. Uh, and, and like, they're the type of people that they were. You know, they had long hair. They wore bell bottoms. And those sort of people on TV at that time were usually the people who were getting arrested in cop dramas. Like, uh, they weren't people that you saw in a TV show. Um, and like, they had stuff in this movie, like the Keenholz car from the, uh, the, uh, the museum of modern art or whatever. It's basically like a couple having sex in the backseat of a car, which was like a super controversial thing at the time. Um, and I don't know. It just had a lot of really like psychedelic imagery. And th- this is like, if you're watching a Disney show with a live action Disney show, and then they came out and, their movie started with the beheading of Nick Berg from the Iraq War. This is, I mean, this is like if the if the Wiggles movie started with that. Yeah, if if the Wiggles movie started with the execution of Nick Berg by Al Qaeda, uh, and then <laughs> evolved into sort of like a stream of consciousness, like uh, I don't know, it's it's I, really hard to describe how controversial it is I, because I, I think a good way to look at it is, and Kelsey, you made this comparison. I sort of shot you down when we were watching it, but I think on fun reflection, you're maybe closer to right than I thought you were. 
Um, which is a weird way of saying that you were right. I don't know why I said like, well, you're close to right, but you're not, you know, not as right as I am, obviously. Anyway, you, 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 draw, you drew a comparison between the monkeys and One Direction. Yeah. Which I no, that's just, totally fair. That's totally yeah, fair. Yeah, because the, the One Direction, you know, in the same way as the monkeys, they were brought together in a very artificial way, which we covered in a previous episode of this podcast. Check it out if you haven't. It's a pretty good episode. And then they also have, you know, <laughs> since then, in a different way than the monkeys, you know, they're not, it's not the same situation. They weren't, they didn't have their own TV show. But they've also developed their own musical identities within this false construct. But they also, while they didn't have their own TV show, the way you know people, especially young people, young people consume media about musicians today, you know, basically Twitter and Tumblr are the TV show that One Direction was on. And this and, is as and, if and X Factor. And well, yeah, but they, that, that wasn't really about them as person. That's well, I true. guess maybe you know whatever. There was there's a narrative around them in the same way there was around the monkeys. Mm-hmm. There's in a similar way. Like almost as false, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is like if their movie, This Is Us, directed by Morgan Spurlock, began with, as Morgan said, the beheading of Nick Berg. <laughs> or perhaps the hanging of, uh, of Saddam Hussein. Oof. Or, you know, whatever you want to put in there. Um, I guess it's kind of unfair to compare Nick Berg to a <laughs> war criminal, by the way. But y- you understand the metaphor. Yeah, just, just like you know, a, a, a piece of instantly recognizable filmed like, violence associated yeah. with a, with the current ongoing yeah. uh, war. Sorry yeah. to the family of of Nick Berg. I yeah, guess. Oh, no offense, Matt. I I, th- I think everyone takes your point. Um, but yeah, it's it's it was um, and the, the attempt was made to sort of make that footage of Nguyen being executed in the street by getting shot in the face, uh, to sort of like do the same thing that happens when you spell a word the same we spell the same word over and over again to sort of make it meaningless and uh, uh, sort of abstract it into nothingness. This it's is, really weird. This kind also, of this weird. movie was rated G, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that concept is kind of where I see a parallel to like sort of pop art. It's taking mm. these like familiar uh, film tropes and imagery and repeating them and taking them out of context and just questioning what they mean by doing that the same way like warhol painted you know cans Mm -hmm. over and over again until you're like you're like what does it mean frank (laughs) frank zappa has a cameo in this movie where he shows up with a talking cow and tells (laughs) davy jones that his music is super white yeah (laughs) it's great i think that's a good point kelsey because also throughout the movie they're sort of you know in these like stream of consciousness like rambling skits they're moving through different film genres like there's there's a there's a war film there's the western there's sort of a you know david jones has like the classic musical song and dance number mm-hmm. but and it's instantly recognizable as like that genre <laughs> but it's just like just skewed a little bit so you have yeah. to rethink the whole thing and, and reposition it in your kind mind of upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of upsetting uh there's a the first actual recording of them playing live music is in this movie. Um, like, like the first, they never were able to rehearse <laughs> a lot of times. They weren't able, they would play concerts, but they would basically, it was like a Beatles show. It was just people screaming oh, yeah. their heads up, right? So they would just sort of play music, uh, kind of, um, and they never really got recorded playing their songs live. So when they play Circle Sky in this movie, which um starts with them doing a war chant in a stadium, uh, and then ends with them like running into uh uh an arena to play Circle Sky, uh, and then they all turn into 
uh, you know, uh, mannequins at the end, and this horde of women just comes and rips them all apart. By the way, the women in that shot actually started beating the hell out of each other during the take, <laughs> and they had to cut it because they started getting Why? really invested. <laughs> uh, they just started actually attacking each other, and they couldn't get them to stop. <laughs> like, they, like when they're ripping up the mannequins, the women are actually like, like clawing and trying to kill each other to get the pieces of the mannequins. It has that in like in that scene, definitely, and in other points, it has that very like loose, you know, 1960s independent movie feel where it really feels like anything could happen on screen at any moment in a way. Yeah, because things are, things are so loose. Yeah, they didn't have the rights to do anything. They have Coke in this movie. <laughs> they have the Coke jingle. They didn't have the rights for that. The Life magazine is in this movie in this crazy bit that starts the movie off. Hold uh, it. They didn't have the rights this is for that. life. This is for life. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a sequence of this movie where Mickey Dolan's, through circumstances uh, unclear, <laughs> finds himself in a desert somewhere in Modesto. My favorite part. <laughs> this is the best. This is arguably the best sequence in the movie, uh, except for Porpoise Song, of course. Oh. Um, he he's in the desert and uh, he's looking for uh, some sign of life. An Arabian man comes by and says, Psst. and then in the subtitle it says, Psst, as he leans closer, and the Arabian man rides off in the sunset. Uh, Mickey sees a Coke machine on top of a sand dune, and uh, it's empty. It's empty. He goes, he beats the hell out of it, and then the Italian army shows up, and, uh, and, and this guy has a gun. It's actually a famous Italian actor. I can't think of the name of. Uh, he, gives, he gives Mickey the gun, and then uh, this whole Italian army, this line of like 100 people just <laughs> drop their guns at his feet and walk away. This guy in a tank comes up. Uh, abandons the tank, and they all walk off to the Italian uh, national anthem playing in the background. <laughs> and then uh, Mickey ponders the scene for a moment, climbs into the tank, and you're like, oh, he's finally going to get out of this desert. Instead, he turns around, he blows up the Coke vending machine, smiles into the camera as the Coke jingle plays. <laughs> and that is like the single most satisfying moment. <laughs> then that shot transitions to Mickey smiling, wearing Sultan clothes, and belly dancers play uh, Can You Dig It? Which is a very dope song, by the way. Um, the I think if you if you if you haven't seen Head and you're thinking about checking it out, that description of the the desert sequence with the Coke machine is a good. It's it's the movie in miniature in a, in a way. A microcosm the, of the film. The so microcosm. To speak. Thank you, thank you, sir. It's sort of because like a lot of scenes in the movie will have that sort of weird meandering, bizarre quality where you'll think like. You'll be maybe a little entranced or a little bit, you know, engaged, but also a little bit confused and maybe put off. Like, I, I, I like this. It's weird, and, but it's, it's also, I don't know what's going on. But then they'll come back around with something that's just, like, genuinely funny and surprising <laughs> yeah. and, and, like, interesting, like him blowing up the Coke machine. Atta like, when you realize the entire Jason. thing has been, like, a long, like, set up to that payoff, it's really quite it's, funny. It's, it's like, honestly, this segment is, like, 20 minutes, and <laughs> the joke is the Coke jingle at the end. It's, like, a big setup <laughs> Coke jingle. Um, that... Desert, by the way, was actually uh, a housing development they built at the edge of the desert that the desert ate. <laughs> oops. Oops. Uh, <laughs> oops. It's actually a massive uh, problem now for California. <laughs> Ooh, yikes. Anyway, yikes. then Tim Carey shows up. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Why don't we use classic things? Think of the money. Millions. Um, This guy. Uh, Tim Carey as Lord High and Low. <laughs> I love this dude so much. He's not in a lot of. He's in a few episodes of Columbo. <laughs> uh, playing Columbo. They tried to make him Columbo's like diner buddy. It's so weird. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are into Columbo. Um, don't worry about it. No, not so much. Sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, check out Tim Carey. Google him. Google the Tim Carey. It's great. Tim Carey plays this character, Lord Heinlein, that pops up a couple times throughout the movie in a very sort of displaced in time sort of way. Like he shows up. He shows up in that first, like in that early sequence, and like, I think the next time he appears, he's got a noose straight around his neck. Yeah. And then, like, a few scenes later, you see him holding onto a noose and he gets knocked off of the scaffolding, and it's a whole thing. But he, he seems to represent the closest thing to, like, the embodiment of uh, the pressures of fame, I guess. Yeah. Because this movie, I think, this is sort of my main thesis for what the movie is about. So I'll just get this out of the way so we can not worry about it anymore. But I feel like the. There sort of is a, you know, it's a running commentary and sort of like parody of, of you know, the, the trappings of fame. And you mentioned people, uh, wrong, wrongly so, believe this movie was pro-war. And that's weird, and I don't know how you would get that from this. But I do think I understand why people maybe were a little bit confused about the movie's general ideas and philosophies. It's not super clear. I mean, it's it's funny and it's very entertaining and it's... It's just sort of bizarre, and, and which is, I think, you know, useful in its own way. But th- the main thrust of, I think, the movie's I- idea is is this idea that the, these these people, the monkeys, are famous, and isn't that kind of ridiculous? <laughs> and the way it articulates this is not through any sort of like there's a, there's the, it occasionally treads on on like close to the, the the ground of this sort of kind of hackneyed like oh boy being famous sure is whatever but it never does that and i think what it does instead is sort of just through the association with these this like never-ending series of bizarre scenes and vignettes sort of attaches the idea of fame to that in a way where it's sort of the, the the overall point is that like fame is like this movie ridiculous and absurd and doesn't make sense and it's kind of you know entrancing but it's also very annoying and weird and and kind of fake and this movie is always reminding you that it's fake that you're watching a movie like you know in the in the 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 western sequence goes on for like two minutes and then i forget who it is i get their names mixed up a lot but i think it's peter just gets up maybe it's mickey but whoever it is gets up off of where he's sitting and like walks like through the uh the western part the the matte painting just rips through it and walks away He's like, I'm sick of this, and he just, he just walks right. But there, he, there's a whole scene where Peter's complaining about his character's actions in one scene. Yes. Sometimes I feel like I wouldn't hit a woman. <laughs> the kids aren't gonna dig it, man. They're not gonna dig it, man. <laughs> I I feel like the whole conceit of this is that the monkeys know they're on a studio backlot, but nobody else in the movie does. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, Bob Raffleson said, uh, Tim Carey, you're like, that's like really basically what they were trying to go for. Uh, Tim Carey was supposed to, Bob Raffleson said, uh, he was supposed to represent the harm of the monkeys. Like, Mm. like what kind of wrongness it's like, (laughs) it's like, uh, and it's like too many abstractions away from reality coming back (laughs) to reality and like the fame and the. The fact that by the end of the show, 
people actively hated the monkeys. They <laughs> despised them. Like no one would hire them in Hollywood. <laughs> no one would hire Bob Raffleson, and all he could do was go and produce Easy Rider and make a billion dollars. Um, you know, oh, what a sucker. But, but um. He was like, I set out to make a commercial success, and when I got that, I realized that I was part of the problem. <laughs> and like, I don't know, these people were going through. It, it was a hard time. <laughs> it's a you hard can see, time. you can see that too. It's all sort of a little bit unprocessed. What's on yeah. the screen, but you definitely feel that sort of confusion and angst about what they're doing with their lives. Yeah, because I mean, this. Uh, much like today, sort of a, a very uh, uneasy time in the country. <laughs> and um, all they were doing was goofing off, and they'd all gotten, uh, basically for various reasons, not had to uh, go to the Vietnam War. Uh, some of them pretended mm. to be crazy at their draft meetings, and, like, I don't know, it's a whole thing. But, like, I, I think, you know, they, they didn't um, know what to do with it after it was there. And all they wanted to do was kill it. And they couldn't. <laughs> and then they wanted to make music, real music, but they couldn't. They were legally not allowed to do it. And um, I don't know. It got it's 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 a weird situation to find yourself in where you're playing yourself playing music, but you can't be yourself and play music. Um, and that's, it, that's that's very it's hard to like imagine that because I don't play music and I'm not you know on camera yeah. acting. But that's yeah. That's Nas really National Broadcasting Corporation owns your name and your music yeah. and your ability to play music. If you think about like spending all day pretending to do the thing that you want to do in real life, but you can't really do it, you can only pretend. And um, but you're getting rich and famous for pretending. Then what the fuck does it mean? <laughs> that's a real mind fuck. And then you make head and <laughs> and you try to blow it up and you do. Uh, and Columbia Records is like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, oh you did it. Uh, Dennis Hopper's in this movie too, by the way. Um, but I will say, I will say, if their if their goal was to make a movie that makes people, when they come to it, reevaluate the monkeys and look at them in the new light, I don't know. If, I guess it didn't work back in the '60s. It was a it huge flop. It worked for me when I saw this in uh, about exactly 40 years after it was released. Yeah. Or um, actually, not quite forty. I saw this. I think we probably saw this for the first time in, uh, in my dorm room in two thousand seven. Yeah, it was somewhere. Uh, may have been sophomore year, but somewhere around there. <laughs> let me let me take you a little further down this rabbit hole, though. Uh oh. Okay. Here so, we go. the monkeys were legally obligated after this movie to produce a, a television special. Uh, and what ended up happening was, like, a corporate person had seen Head, and they didn't get it. They didn't hate it, so they did this special. I think it's called Monkeys 33 and a Third, and by this time, there's only three <laughs> monkeys left. Uh-oh. Um, so they basically took Head, which was this movie designed to break the monkeys, uh, and remade it into a TV special that was basically trying to make the monkeys still be the monkeys. Like um, they recut it or no? Like they like it? they remade it for the TV special. Like it's a live, like Sunny and Share, like variety show thing. Oh, and so they come out no. and like do some of these same kind of skits and some like reversioning of the same kind of skits. So this is like so many levels of abstraction away from like anything. At this point, it is horrible to watch. Um, and at 
in the middle of the show, they do this song called Mommy and Daddy, by the way, uh, which is just Mickey Dolan screaming things like, uh, ask your mommy and daddy what happened to the Indians. How come they're all living in places with too much snow or too much sand? Ask your mommy or daddy what really happened to JFK. Ask your daddy why that soldier doesn't care who he kills after they put you to sleep and tucked you safely down in your bed. Whisper mommy and daddy, would you rather that I learned it from my friends instead? I mean, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> tell your mommy and daddy that you love them anyway that you love them anyway give them a kiss love will set you free uh, it's those are the real lyrics to that song <laughs> by the way um, the fact that the, um, the fact that the, I guess NBC or whatever yeah, the monkeys were under contract saw ahead and held them to the contract for it's the special it's bonkers yeah uh, it's not easy to find this special, uh, for very obvious reasons. But uh, you, you, you have seen it? I have seen parts of it. I've seen, oh. I've seen, uh, like, there's a part where they sort of redo the, um, <laughs> the happy birthday thing. Oh, God. So there's a scene in the movie where the monkeys are gradually kidnapped by, uh, ethereal beings or themselves. Uh, and all that's left is, uh, Michael Nesmith just wandering around in a solarized dungeon <laughs> and he comes upon three chanting monks uh and he's very confused and then they take off their robes and it's the monkeys and they start singing happy birthday to uh, michael nesmith and uh he gets so upset but before that they have a big crazy dance party and uh <laughs> michael nesmith is like listen you can't just go around saying happy birthday and jumping out of walls Okay, to be fair, you can't just go around singing happy birthday. <laughs> it makes people very uncomfortable. Who needs it? And he says, and the same thing goes for Christmas. <laughs> and, um, so for Monkeys 33 and a third, they like redo that skit kind of. Uh, and it's it's so weird. Does he say it, the same thing about Christmas? I don't remember. Because and this is one of my like my favorite. I mean, I there's so many like different moments in this movie that I have are so so good but the the moment where he goes he's doing his whole rant about maybe i was happier off you know where i was before sleeping, sleeping. i don't like this whole birthday business and he goes and by the way i'll tell you another thing the same thing goes for christmas everyone around him like gasps for a second then they all go yeah good good job mike you tell him mike a boy mike which i maybe i'm reading too much into it take a sort of a shot at like you know ooh the controversial john lennon saying these things about the band <laughs> and jesus and oh isn't he brave ooh. and then tim carey shows up in a in a wheelchair powered by his hands and well, says well most wheelchairs are boy mikey well I, it's like a bicycle no, you're right he is sort of like moving each wheel independently and in yeah, yeah. Like sort of like it's impossible motion. to describe <laughs> it's like he's got these like it's crazy town it's insane and then he slowly <laughs> dies on camera as he crawls towards the monkeys uh and then uh it's impossible it's impossible to describe there's a moment that you fully understand when you're watching it on some level but you can't you, can, you cannot describe it i can't and um, I like that goes I, for a lot of this movie yeah that at one point they are literal dandruff in victor mature's hair <laughs> and the in the first second Victor Mature appears on screen, you hear a voice off screen saying, Okay, Victor, that's enough for today. <laughs> <laughs> it's what was amazing. Uh, Peter Tork said uh Victor Mature was about a pint and a half of everybody every day. 
<laughs> uh, Victor Mature at this time was like a famed soap opera actor, and they have him playing a behemoth 90-foot-tall demon man who may or may not exist on multiple planes of reality and uh, constantly assaults the monkeys by hitting them with golf balls or kicking their TV dimension in half. Here's, here's another like microcosm of what the movie is. There's a scene towards the end where the monkeys are driving around in a, in a car. Like, in a Scooby-Doo like, like, like a Scooby-Doo-like. Like a Scooby-Doo. What was that Hanna-Barbera cartoon about the doom buggy oh, that could talk? Uh, flat, uh, Gabber shark, Jabberjaw. No, did they have a talking doom buggy in that show too? I don't remember. There's one of them that, that you know, does that. You, where they replace it, Scooby with a talking car. You, you, you can you can imagine what that show is like. If it's yep. even if it's not real, imagine what it's like. Also, if you made this movie into like a series of cartoons, it would not seem weird at all. No, <laughs> that's true. If this if this aired on like as a Hanna Barbera show in the '60s, it would be yeah. like no one raised an eyebrow. Exactly. <laughs> except, except for all the murder. <laughs> that, they probably would cut that out for the cartoon, but they're driving around, you know, in the desert trying to get away from this giant, you know, Victor mature guy stomping around the desert. And he's like dressed like Peter a Pan. Caddy? Yeah, he, he's kind of like a, yeah, he's got like a green shirt on and white pants. He's like he just got <laughs> off playing golf. Um, but then you then you, they cut away, and there's this device at the movie where they cut to like it's as if someone is slipping through the channels of the movie, and a very sort of and they, they're playing like they're intercut with like scenes from. Other parts the of the movie, the trailer, the trailer. The movie, <laughs> uh, different movies, uh, other movies, other TV shows. <laughs> and at this point, it pulls back, and you see that Victor Mature is the one watching this TV set. And he's watching this scene of the movie right now as he's chasing the, the monkeys around as a giant. And he gets up in his room, paces around for a bit, then walks over the TV and kicks it. And as he kicks the TV, the giant Victor Mature in the desert kicks the monkey's car and knocks them over a sand dune. <laughs> it's. It's, um, um, I don't know what it could mean, but it's amazing. David Jones said he thought it meant the monkeys, as big as they were, were literally only as good as the dandruff in Victor Mature's hair. Because <laughs> he was a real actor, making oh. real things. Uh, but no one remembers Victor Mature okay. now. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, uh, for a second, ask you look at this movie with, with soft eyes, mm. as Kima would say. Mm. Kelsey, mm -hmm. how'd you feel about this whole thing? I really enjoyed this. Nice. This is this is one of my favorite things we've done, honestly. <laughs> wow. Which is weird because I didn't expect to. That's so good. But I also didn't expect to like the last movie that Morgan showed us, and I like that one a lot too. So really, I should trust Morgan more. Morgan's I'm good at everything. I'm good <laughs> at everything. Morgan's got a better record than I do on this show by <laughs> by a wide margin. <laughs> yeah, no, I I like this a lot. Would watch it again. Would prefer to not be sober. It's great. <laughs> it definitely has the feel of a. Now, Morgan, I heard it told I get on the Wikipedia page of the movie. I guess mm -hmm. that when they were sort of brainstorming this movie, they were all under the influence of cannabis. Uh, well, the monkeys. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no, the monkeys. No. Well, I, I say that they all wrote this together, but basically they got up there and then they kicked the monkeys out because no one wanted to be around them, really. <laughs> so they were there, and then they sort of wrote this movie like about their in, own stuff. In their vicinity. The only <laughs> real bit of the movie that the monkeys wrote was the part where the, the Arabian guy comes up and goes, Psst. <laughs> That's the best part. That's the best part. <laughs> 
uh, that was a joke. Michael Michael Nesbeth goes, yeah, I just heard that joke uh, a couple days before we went up to write it, and I thought it'd be real funny in the movie. <laughs> so uh, that's what we did. We put it in the movie. Uh, but yeah, they were high the whole time. Everybody was, except for uh, Michael Nesmith. He uh, he d- he didn't drink or anything. Well, good for him. Good for him. He good also him. wore the hat. If you've ever seen, I I would say if you're scared of watching this movie because you don't know anything about the monkeys literally at you, all, it that's doesn't fine. matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. And that may be, the only joke. The only joke in the movie that is funnier if you've ever seen the show is this part where uh, Davy Jones is a boxer fighting uh, Sonny Liston. And uh, anyway, Mickey Dolan's ends up, someone says, ah, Mickey, you're the dummy. And uh, Mickey loses his shit. He says, I'm not the dummy. I'm not the dummy. And he goes and he beats up everybody in the whole entire thing, including uh, this woman. And then a glistening hero appears, uh, Peter Tork, (laughs) in the corner of the ring with a halo around him, says, it's okay, Mickey. I'm the dummy. I'm always the dummy, Mickey. And uh, Mickey calms down. And uh, because in the show, uh, Peter Tork was the stupid one. Uh, but oh. in, in reality, uh, he was the one most in into this. like transcendentalism. And he was like pretty chill. And he'd gone to college unlike everyone else. Um, <laughs> like like Davy Jones was like the one girls liked. And Mickey was like the schemer. And, uh, you know, then uh, Peter Tork was the stupid guy. He was the dumb. Aww. He was the dumb one, uh, and that's the only joke that's funnier if you ever watch the show. That's it. There's uh, the rest of it is not, and I don't think you need to have watched the show to find that bit funny. Honestly, it's pretty I, funny. I, until now, I did not know that was in any way reference to the show. Uh, it's, I'd say it's basically a, the only one. As a non sequitur, it's probably funnier. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very funny. It's very I'm, funny. I'm always the dummy, Mick. But also. This this movie's great and I enjoyed it a lot. Although I don't know if I would technically call it a movie. Um, <laughs> well, what is a movie? It's an many best. Exactly, but the music is really good. I want to tell you the songs are all jams. The porpoise song <laughs> is one of the greatest pop rock songs of all time. So good. Circle Sky, so good. Uh, long title, Do I Have to Do This All Over Again? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, As We Go Along is like one of the best, like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's really good. Uh, that's the song that plays um, as they're all like walking through picturesque yeah. scenery and then turns into like, oh my God, we cannot get away from commercials. And I, th- I think as you as we were watching the first time, you basically said that uh, Can You Dig It was sort of like, um, I don't know how to best describe this. Sort of the, the sitar number, basically. Yeah. Well, you described it as basically a more listenable version of Within You Without You. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, not, yeah, at the time I was like deep in my, you know, early college Beatles fandom. So I was very resistant to that idea. But in hindsight, this... you, you pretty much nailed it. It is true. And um, also, coincidentally, uh, that song was written before uh, uh, Sgt. Peppers came out while they were making this movie. 
uh, because you know really? the scene. The scene after Victor Mature goes, "Ah, boy, Mikey," where they're all standing in the desert and uh, they got the guns pointed at him, and then you know Davy has the cannon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good. While they were shooting that scene in that western town, someone had gotten a copy of Sergeant Pepper's and started playing it over the loudspeakers of the studio city, and they said uh, in the commentary that like the whole production stopped and like just stood there and listened to the whole album played over these loudspeakers and like oh man it was like a crazy experience for everybody i want the director's cut where it's just like the whole album (laughs) they they filmed the whole thing (laughs) anyway so they were they were pioneers of the modern uh pop sitar song i can't can't imagine that to be there in that place when you first hear Sgt. Pepper is the only thing I think comparable is for our generation is whenever a new Girl Talk album comes out <laughs> and the world just sort of stops for that hour as we all stare just awestruck. I was Googling last night, is Girl Talk making a new album? <laughs> just like two days ago, I was like, hey, it's you know, it's been like eight years. What's going on? Basically once a month, right before I'm falling asleep, I'll have the thought of like, I wonder if there's going to be any new Girl Talk music soon. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> that, that is a very comparable experience, I think. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right, though. They sort of, it's, it's not entirely, a lot of stuff feels like, in, not directly, but in sort of a loose associative way feels like a response to what the beatles did in the latter part of their career but they hadn't if i mean if sergeant peppers wasn't out yet i know that uh strawberry fields forever was out because you can hear uh, i think it's peter whistling part of that in one yeah, of the bathroom yeah, yeah. scenes well that came out as a single yeah 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 didn't it am i crazy yeah no because it's not on sergeant peppers if, if, right. if strawberry fields forever was on sergeant peppers there could never be another album that was good ever again <laughs> that would George, just be George it for Martin music. said that yep i mean he's he, he's right when you're right he's, you're right he's right Oh, instead it's on Magical Mystery Tour, the best Beatles oh, album. No. Oh no! I'm not doing no. this to you right now. Um, no. Get headquarters, <laughs> get headquarters, and get this soundtrack album. It's only forty. No, it's like thirty-five minutes long. The whole, the whole soundtrack. Packs a punch. Packs a good punch. Packs a good punch. I want to talk about one sequence <laughs> in this movie. Okay. Called okay. Uh, just it's, one. Uh, just one. One specific, one specific sequence called uh, "Daddy Song." Ooh. Uh, so, uh, Davy Jones has been vacuumed up from Victor Mature's hair. Uh, he gets stuck in the vacuum hose and ends up falling into a black box, which I should probably discuss at a later time. Uh, anyway, he comes out around the corner and all of a sudden this like vaudeville number starts. Years ago into a And it's like this upbeat song about this kid growing up with his dad. And it's all black. And um, the, like the whole set is black. And and uh, Davey's wearing all white. And then as he's dancing, it'll cut to the same set in all white. And Mickey's wearing, I mean, uh, Davey's wearing all black. And oh my God, I can't. It, it's like one of the best edited things I've ever seen in my whole life. It's, the editing is really impressive. It is. Awe-inspiring, this sequence. I mean, the editing I mean, in the 
this movie actually really impressive. It like the, pioneered the, the use of solarization like in film. True story. Uh, it was a process that already existed, but they were the first people to put it in a, into uh, practice in a movie, and it was incredibly expensive. Um, yeah, it's weird because you see that now, and you think you know you got. You could do that like, with an iPhone. Filter. Exactly, you can do that. There's a filter for that on on your, your fucking iPhone. But back then, it actually had to like, like frame by frame, like mess with the film stock. Yeah, and they do it really well. Looks good. Uh, they maybe do it. I would say maybe it's like one element they do too much, but it's like <laughs> being the first people to be able to do CGI in a movie. Like, what are you not going to, you're going to do it all the time. <laughs> you, if yeah. you're the one person who can do this, like in a movie, I mean, you're going to do it. And if you get a little carried away, sometimes, you know, you go full James Cameron and you make the abyss. It happens. It happens. <laughs> but, uh, you can, you can look up daddy's song head on YouTube and just watch this one segment, this one song. Uh, it's actually a super sad song. <laughs> uh, like a lot of the monkey songs, it's like got this like really upbeat. Um, it sounds like a really happy pop song, but the lyrics are like, my father left me and I never really got over that. <laughs> and, uh, I hope that someday I have a kid, but I'm pretty sure I'll fuck that up too. <laughs> uh, and the song ends with him being dead and being like, I, I didn't really do it. Um, <laughs> didn't really accomplish what I said to do. Thanks dad. Um, <laughs> it's a great song. Uh, geez Louise, watch that segment though. It's amazing. It's, it's so, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful part of this movie. And there's a part where the music all cuts out and then they just go to this live recording shot of, uh, Davy Jones just singing the ballad part of the song. This is close up. And then the music cuts back in and he dances off and the, the editing goes crazy. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's really, really good. Uh, you should watch Head. You should watch Head. Watch head. Yeah. Um, the black box is a recurring <laughs> motif in this movie. Uh, constantly, the monkeys are getting locked in this gigantic black box, literally constraining them. And this is something that That's came from... That's not a from... metaphor or anything. Yeah, it's not a metaphor. <laughs> They're literally in a big black box. But this is also not made for the movie. When they were making the TV show, they would literally lock them into a giant black box. Wait, uh, what? What? It's not... I'm not kidding. Um, when Did they were making the show, people were so like, they were so like, they were difficult to like control, I guess. Like they were just wanted to be teenagers on a TV show set. And people say they monkey around, but yeah, certainly people, they were too busy singing. The the people producing the show, not Bob Raffleson, but like the network people got so sick of the monkeys that when they weren't needed on set they would take them to what was a converted refrigerator box and they were literally put in there and there was four lights that had their names on them and when they needed them on set they would just light up the light with their oh name and they would let them out of the box and so like you 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 watch it and you're like that's a little heavy-handed the monkeys <laughs> yeah. but literally when they were making the show they were literally put into a box Every day, like 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 actual animals. Um, Kelsey, you know more about art history than I do. Sure. Is, it, is it safe to say that the entire idea of postmodernism peaked and truly expended itself entirely during the monkeys' uh, time? <laughs> thirty-three and a third is postmodernism. The monkeys, <laughs> the monkeys project. Yeah, well, you describe thirty-three and a third. They're they're special. That sounds like you you couldn't invent an idea. They got that, that point abstract. across better than that. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm 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 searching for the 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 movement within postmodernism. <laughs> Sorry, I'm searching for the movement within postmodernism that would is encompassed by both head and probably thirty three and a third. I don't know what it is, but it's something. Post monkeysism. Ooh. Ooh, talk about pomo. Post monkeysism. It's like it's definitely its own like this sub sub movement of like. <laughs> Conceptual art meets performance art meets pop art. But all of it taking place on this like grand like national stage. Yeah. On a level that you can't, you could never do that again because no band could ever be big the way a band was big in the 60s. Yeah, I mean, and that's like part of what a lot of good like conceptual art is like. It's like you have to experience it Mm -hmm. when it happens. Mm -hmm. A new world whose only preoccupation will be how to amuse itself. The tragedy of our times is that we may get exactly what we want. That line. Come on, Davy. That was very like that's what cemented is like this is a piece of art. This is someone is trying to make a statement here. Um, there's that part where they're talking to the guru and uh, he he says like, you know, where there's choice, there is misery. I really believe that. <laughs> Where there's clarity, there's no choice. And where there's choice, there is misery. Yeah. I'm pretty um, sure the first time I saw that sequence, and then again when when Peter, like, repeats it, and then gets to the end and gets the very humble, but, you know, who should I I might speak because I don't know anything. And then, you know, (laughs) um, I think Dave Dave is like, well, then why are we listening to you for if you don't know anything? (laughs) You don't know nothing! I'm pretty sure the first time I saw that sequence, I took that whole, like, the guru thing to be again, like, you know, sort of a response to the Beatles embrace of Eastern thought and like how sort of surface level and like meaningless that was. But watching it this time, I do think what the guru is saying is mostly true. It is. Yeah. I think, I think he's right. I mean, history is, he says history is one set of ideas deposing another, which is, which is true. That's the most succinct way to describe history that you can, you can't make history any smaller than that idea. (laughs) Um, You can't, clarify what history is any more than it's an idea beating an idea that's history all the way through humanity um and the part where peter torque starts like basically repeating what the guru says but like sort of incorrectly and like a level down (laughs) is like its own kind of commentary on like you watch a TV show and you feel smart, so you start quoting the quotes, but you get the words kind of wrong. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then people don't understand you the same way because you're still you. You're still Peter Tork sitting in a box, and when you say you don't know anything, people are like, what the hell? <laughs> I thought yeah. you had a thing. Even if you pick up like a, an idea that you feel so big and mind-blowing and, and, and perfectly true, trying to communicate that to anyone else you know, around you is so, so difficult and nearly impossible. And was that guy right? If if our our world is is a is preoccupied with entertaining itself and it got what it want what it wanted is that a tragedy? I think it is. <laughs> I think we kind of fucked up. I don't know. Watch head. Um, watch head. <laughs> it's it's good. I think they were right. Also, Stephen Stills from Crosby, Stills and Nash was originally going to have Peter Tork's part in this show. What? Um, oh, in the show? In the show? Yeah, but uh, they didn't cast him because his teeth were too crooked so they asked him if he knew anyone who looked exactly like him uh and he said but with better teeth 
Yeah, but with better teeth. So they got Peter Tork. So Peter Tork is playing <laughs> is playing oh, God. Steven Stills from Crosby Stills and Nash. Uh, the whole uh, it's a whole thing. It's all the levels of, of, of it just goes down so far. You know, usually I have some questions I run through with our guests, sort of coax out ideas, and then we ask each other just normally to like focus our thinking. But mm-hmm. Morgan, you you have just thrown so much knowledge at us that you know you've dropped so much science. <laughs> I, I don't if, think there's, there's nothing else that you haven't already covered that I could if possibly you ask like you. a thing, you have to like everything. <laughs> You have to. I can't. I can't like something without being like, "Oh, well, what was their childhood like?" <laughs> Morgan, this is this is where I get you. Like, I don't know how to like things like in a casual way. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if I like something casually, I barely like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm indifferent if I like it casually. Like it's it's there. Yeah. But if you love it. But if you love it, I love it, and I know everything about it. And it, it could really. Take over all of your time and, in, in, in effect, ruin your ruin life. Ruin your life. <laughs> ruin your life. Oh, that's the name of the show. Oh, and I, if I didn't have one more thing to say, that would be the perfect close to this. So the reason they called this movie Head was <laughs> so that if they made a sequel, they could in the trailer say, from the men who gave you Head. <laughs> that is literally the only reason that this movie is called Head. So that they could make a joke in the future, which they did not. That's amazing. I, I mean, if you can't respect that, you gotta respect you, that. I mean, come you on, have to, you gotta you have respect to, that. Come on, respect the process. Do you, Kelsey? Do you, do you feel? How do you feel about this movie? Do you have any final thoughts? I mean, I, I love this movie. This, this might Bless be you, the Kelsey. most successful ruining of my life. Damn. And I don't know if I just needed this movie right Kelsey, now. I've been doing this shit for. A year and a half. I know, right? You serious? You gonna do me like this? <laughs> Listen to mommy and daddy, Kelsey. You'll like it. I, I think I just like needed this movie right now. I think it just came to me in a moment where mm. I just really needed it. This this kind of brings together like a bunch of different things that I enjoy and I'm interested in. It's sort of got that sort of art historical, art critical thing happening but also like with the nostalgia of like the shows i watched on nick at night when i was younger (laughs) and also protest history is a really interesting thing so yeah there's a lot of stuff coming together in a way that maybe doesn't make a lot of sense but is really compelling to watch some some of the stuff i would argue that doesn't make sense but like it feels like it should is because it was, like, very specific political commentary for an mm-hmm. era where, like, mm-hmm. almost all the, the... The thing that people remember is, like, oh, the war was real bad. Uh, Nixon... Did he get impeached? Um, and, uh, you know, like, oh, people wore, like, crazy-looking clothes. That's That's really, like... Like, if you think about the counterculture uh, of that era as a dude who is... 29 like that's what you think about i guess but like there was a lot of shit happening there was um, there's nuance that we are unaware of yeah but it as it stands now it just works as like really abstract vaguely politically oriented comedy <laughs> like, what are the italians doing i don't know did they do that was that a, was that a world war ii thing i'm not really sure could you but, make this movie it's like, like now? 68 oh, it's wait. like oh, well i think a, a good comparison would be like if you imagine like it, it, like fifty years from now, 
looking Someone back trying at, like, to describe any, this era. Any one day on Twitter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the jokes would What the fuck you is would, Twitter? You have no idea what anything meant. Like you could just It's yeah. like a whole like like meme with the plums and also like political shit happening all at the same time. Yeah, and be like, what would what was this about? And be like, oh well this is one day that one like former New York Times opinion columnist said this one thing on Twitter about this this one guy who said this one thing and we just went off on him all day. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, oh you had to be there, man. It was really funny. We used to drive cars that looked funny. <laughs> we wore pants that you would never wear. Not in a million years, kid. Boys. And I think you're I think you're right that, like, this movie, like, there's, like, an incredible nuance to some of the references, and and we just don't understand them, because now those type of references would be around, like, four hours instead (laughs) of, you know, months or a year. Because if you you miss, like, a meme, you're just gone forever. You just don't, you don't get the joke for the rest of the week. (laughs) If you you miss the news on Tuesday, by Thursday, it feels like you're on fucking Mars. But it's also, like, because things happen differently now than, like, our brains weren't meant to take in things the way they are now. I don't know, it's a whole different topic, but... It's, it's not good. I, I would love to go down this rabbit hole, but we're already we an hour and a half in. We're already we're already pretty far in. Yeah. I no, I'm not. That wasn't sarcastic. But hey, but hey no, no, I, I'm I, I, eager to go down this road. Same. Well, we'll get to that when we talk about um when we when we dig up a copy of Thirty Three and a Third, <laughs> and we can do an yes. episode on that. <laughs> okay, so this scene is where a guy <laughs> is playing himself, playing himself, playing himself. Not wanting to kill himself. <laughs> uh, watch it. Watch head. Yeah. Please. If we can leave you with one message, the, the it's monkeys. It's on YouTube. Real bad. It's on YouTube twice. There's, I mean, uh, RIAA, don't listen to the rest of this. <laughs> Go straight hello. to your nearest local library. Um, the Criterion edition is out of print, I believe. No. I no. It's been out of print for about six years, I think. Do we know? It might be on Filmstruck. I haven't checked. But they Filmstruck has a lot of the Criterion stuff for streaming. Um, anyway, it's also it's on YouTube, so yeah. if you yeah. if you just want to see it, that's the best way to do it at your convenience. It's definitely the freest half. way. It is, it is the by far the freest way. Um, Eighty five minutes. Yeah, it's a way it won't cost you much of your life either. So <laughs> get on it. Special thanks to Danny About with Weeping Willards for use of their song "Outside in the Rain" from their self-titled album, available now to download on Bandcamp. Special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. If you have a second, you know, leave us a review or rate us on iTunes. Please. And like us on Facebook and Twitter. Morgan. Morgan. Yes. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, Morgan. Thank, thanks I'll for... be, I'll be, listen, I'll be back. I got other movies to talk about. Uh-oh. I'm excited. I can't wait to hear what the next greatest movie of all time ever is. Actually, See, I'm now, okay. now I've built a trust with Morgan, and I'm afraid <laughs> that like his next movie I'm going to hate, and that's just going to be really disappointing. Surprise! It's Kings! The no. NBC show! The no! The no! Thousand no! So it wasn't that good. No, I'm going to make you play <laughs> Super Mario RPG next. Oh, anyway, oh it was great that'll being be, here. Be fun. <laughs> it was great having you, Morgan. Thank you. Thanks, Morgan. Hey, uh, and... <laughs> When I was on the show last time, I was like, I was like, hey, I'm gonna have a podcast real soon. Uh, it's gonna be real good. Um, I'm still working on it, so I don't have anything to plug. Have a great one. It was great meeting you again, podcast. See you next time. <laughs> to Morgan, we say.
good night to the listeners we say happy, happy holidays. holidays and the same goes for christmas they wish i would go ahead and fuck my life up can't let them get to me and even though i always fuck my life up only i can mention me they wish i would go ahead and fuck my life up can't let them get to me and even though i always fuck my life up only i can mention me only i can mention me only i can mention me Isn't it George Michael Dolan? <laughs>